we built this idea in-house from scratch. We had a great relationship with Unilever, but of course they needed to believe in this idea together with us. It had a lot of conversations back and forth. It was like in a couple of months making. And we made the deal happen about two months ago. And it actually increased Unilever's ice cream penetration significantly on our platform. And that was such a good benefit to our customer to actually keep using it here. That was like a good negotiation at the start, which turned out to be such a good benefit to the customer and a great benefit to our partners. Hello, hola, ni hao, salut, namaste everyone, wherever in the world you're listening to this, and welcome to 100 Sum Game, a podcast where we discuss negotiation, persuasion, and influence. Join me as I interview master negotiators from a new industry each episode and get inspired to get the best outcome for yourself while creating value for your counterpart. My name is Adele. I'm a recent economics and psychology grad with experience in finance and marketing, and I'm fascinated by the power of negotiation to change your life and career. Whether you're an earlier seasoned professional looking to accelerate your career, negotiate your value, and tactfully handle conflicts, or simply a curious individual aiming to level up your soft skills, leave your shoes and missed opportunities at the door, and let's get started. Hello, 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 100 Sum Game listeners. Welcome to another episode. This is going to be an interesting and a special episode that's a little bit close to my heart because here today I have my sister with me, a very successful management consultant and now a marketer in the startup field. So we will be discussing the startup game with her today. Let us know your questions down in the Q&A section The question we have for you for this episode is, what's been holding you back recently when it comes to persuading your colleagues or seniors? So let us know down in the Q&A and let us also know how you found about this podcast, either through social media or word of mouth. That'll make me make this podcast better for you and, and more accessible to everyone. So without further ado... I'll present you guys my sister a little bit. I know she's going to get into more of it, but her journey starts from Turkey, navigating to McKinsey, and then all the way to New York, New York McKinsey. And now she is leading the marketing of a very successful grocery delivery startup that has launched in the US a couple years back. And she has been doing great in the field and in startup, dipping her toes in startup marketing. Hi, sis. I'm so glad to have you on my podcast. Hello. This is great. It kind of feels surreal that we're doing this. I know. So thank you for inviting me. I know. We've been discussing this for a while, but it's finally the schedules aligned and so glad to have you. Why don't we... Um, start about getting to know more about you and your background and what you're currently working on right now. Absolutely. I think you had a great start, but my journey has started in Istanbul. So born and raised in Istanbul, I've been living there for majority of my life. So had training on industrial engineering and economics and found myself in consulting right out of undergrad. So was at McKinsey predominantly doing financial services and a little bit of healthcare consulting. And then decided to go to Columbia Business School. So that was one of the best things that I think I ever done in my life was to come here to New York and spend these two years in Columbia Business School, meeting with a lot of people, learning different things. And which actually brought me a lot of different visions of what you could do that could be interesting as a job. After those two years, of course, when I had an offer coming back to McKinsey, New York. So I went back to McKinsey, New York 
and was predominantly working in financial services and became an engagement manager. But around like a summer time, I did find myself thinking that it is great to be a consultant. I think it teaches you a lot of things if you do it right of undergrad. It gives you a lot of structured way of big thinking, which is very much needed if you actually want to become a senior leader anywhere. But what I found it to be shortcoming is any sort of real life experience. And what I mean by that is anything from like a real running business, seeing complications of the things and the decisions that you made. It is PL ownership, anything that actually comes into the real day-to-day life. Consulting doesn't necessarily see that. You just build a beautiful deck, you work with wonderful clients, you actually create a solution that on paper you think is going to work, but you are not there to see the results. So with that, I left to actually become a head of transformation at Getter. So Getter at that point was about $7 billion rapid grocery delivery company that was originated from Istanbul and was there in like eight countries. And the US would have been the ninth. So I joined the team before they launched, launched it together and find myself doing marketing. Then in the last six months, I moved into buying and commercial and we acquired Gorillas, we acquired Fresh Direct. So these are all different grocery delivery companies in the US. What I'm currently doing is both Gitter and Gorillas leading the marketing, commercial and buying and helping with the Fresh Direct transition. So that's my story in a nutshell. Yeah, I love that. Obviously, I know all of this, but hearing everything from like start to finish again, just like I was like, wow, yeah, all of that happened. (laughs) So it's so lovely to hear. And you've been doing a lot of different things. Recently, I'm curious, within your current role at leading the commercial and buying a guitar, how do you think negotiation interactions look like in your field right now? So what are you persuading uh, folks from Gorillas or folks from Fresh Direct or your direct reports or suppliers or any further stakeholders that you're working with? And obviously at the end, since you're in marketing, how do you persuade the consumers to try get your out and, and become loyal and, and grow from there? That's a, it's an interesting question. I think negotiations kind of boils down to everything we do, especially in what I do on a day-to-day. The biggest one is, I think, the distributors, the suppliers that is giving you goods. Mm-hmm. So for the folks who are not in the grocery sector, a lot of the things that you see on like a bodega around the corner or some like smaller grocery shop actually comes to you through a third party called different distributors. Like UNFI is one of them, Baldor is another one of them. And really having good relationships with your distributors is a big enabler when it comes to what do you sell? What Mm. price do you sell? Do you have those goods come in at the right time so you can have them available all the time? And Gitir is like a very different model for it because unlike like a bigger grocery store, Gitir doesn't have that much of a big stores in the city. So in New York City, we have about eight supermarkets that both serve and gorillas at the same time. It means that you can't necessarily log in a lot of things. So you become this like little, for these big distributors, a very little eight supermarkets that wants their attention all the time. So we want them to deliver the, the goods on time. We want to get the like the best and the newest, let's say, yogurt that is coming to the market. Like I want to have everything that I see on Whole Foods. And how do you actually make it happen? And how do you actually make it at the right price? So it was, I think, for us in the U.S. also a big learning journey because Gitir 
in Turkey is really big. So the muscles that you have as, yeah, everyone knows Gitir. And then in the U.S., we're a startup. Yeah. And then you need to build a lot of those things from scratch. So it is a big part of my day-to-day, actually, to work with our distributors and also work with companies like Unilever and Chobani and Pepsi and Coca-Cola's of the world to believe in the business we do, actually bring great products and like have it be a platform that they can have much more sales and really have their like products displayed and give benefit to our customers. I think one of the good examples of that is as maybe a negotiation thing, I think you should always know what you're bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the um, biggest realizations I had just going through this job because as like, a, let's say more of a bigger grocery store, but I say your Whole Foods, what you're bringing is very clear, your Whole Foods. You're just too big. And then people would just want to be there because you're too big. At Gitir, is actually not that. We're not a Whole Foods in the U.S. So what we bring to the table is that we're the fastest in the city and there's no one else left doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, competitors that unfortunately, they're not with us anymore. So it's Gorillas and Gitir, they're both the same company. So really leveraging that benefit and having, for example, with Unilever, we did this amazingly successful campaign together that is called Ice Cream Happy Hour. So every day after 9 p.m., all the ice cream that Unilever has, so those would be Ben and & Jerry's and Plenty's and whatnot, they were off 20% as the ice cream happy hour to our customers, and people loved it. And I think that's a really good negotiation example of we built this idea in-house from scratch. We had a great relationship with Unilever, but of course they needed to believe in this idea together with us. It had a lot of conversations back and forth. It was like in a couple of months making. And we made the deal happen about two months ago. And it actually increased Unilever's ice cream penetration significantly on our platform. And that was such a good benefit to our customer to actually keep using it here. That was like a good negotiation at the start, which turned out to be such a good benefit to the customer and a great benefit to our partners. In previous episodes, we always spoke about, okay, how do I unlock value for myself, but also for my counterpart? But in marketing, I think there's this third aspect of, okay, how do I also provide a lot of value to the customer? So like there's this third person on the table sitting with you. You know, you all all have to like align on the same uh, objective of what I'm getting out of this. Am I getting the 100% of what I'm looking for here? Yeah. All right. So let's go deep dive a little bit into our topic too. I want to ask about navigating the jungle. We're speaking about Getter's operations in in the US now, and we all know it's kind of the jungle, right? It's to say the least. So my first question is, what role does um, persuasion and influence play in in your strategies, especially when you're dealing with those ever-changing preferences and needs and trends with social media, with what people consume, with where they consume, with where they discover new products and services. Yeah, and I think the the persuasion for the roles that I'm at. So, so I'm ahead, but I actually that is almost like a like it's not a C level, right? It's not like a working manager. So you do lead the team, but there is actually a founder team and a CEO team that you have need to convince in your ideas. Plus then, then there's a piece of it that you need to convince the customer to come and try the service that you're offering. So I think the persuasion almost starts internally first as a way of, this is the hypothesis I have. This is what I think the results would be. Can I actually try? 
first thing we did was we were the first team who started the influencer marketing at Kitter. And it was actually a process of persuasion because when you look into influencer marketing, it's not the best way to showcase your brand all the time. And why I'm saying this is that you have this person, which do you know if that person is associating with the brand that you want to work with? Like it is really hard to find the right person, the right face that would fit for your brand. So that was like a bigger challenge of, but does this content really work? Like, wouldn't it be better if we just say something on a purple and a yellow and say it's $20 off your groceries and put it out there? So the first thing that we did was actually an A-B testing. So we made a fake tweet of someone talking about their great service at Gitter. And the other one was like the usual asset that we had that was on just like a $20 off your groceries. And the fake tweet won by a landslide. And that was a controlled A-B test on a digital marketing, like a meta advertising Mm A-B testing platform. So that was like, hey, you know what? This is working. And then we brought in data. And then we did another one, which I actually took a picture of a Gitter bag in my apartment. Definitely not the best high quality picture out there, but that was like the vision. And then we wrote something like great grocery delivery or something along those lines. And then the other one was, again, the usual very brand forward asset. And then we did another A-B testing. And then that just shitty bag picture one. And the data behind that was so much powerful as a persuasion to start influencer marketing. And when we got into influencer marketing, when I say is like actually anything that is UGC, so it doesn't necessarily need to be fancy names, like people talking about their service ad getter. And we were able to put that into performance assets at that point or click to raise doubled. And that just means your CAC is lowering down. So the persuasion of that just to start with internally has to be, at least for what I'm doing, a very much of a data-driven, controlled environment places that you will have the buy-in from your team to actually take this one step forward without making into like a thousands of dollars of investment into a big program. I think persuasion externally when it comes to customer, this is a great example, right? Customers don't necessarily want to hear how great your service is from you anymore. This movement has been going on for at least, I think, five, six years anyway. So I am not the first person who's saying this, but I think it is very notable that you can shout from the top of the roof saying that this is the fastest, best grocery delivery service out there. It's not going to do one-tenth or one-twentieth of someone randomly talking about your service. So even today, we do have, for example, like an influencer marketing deal with uh, one of those like influencers in New York City. And she posted on TikTok a recipe that she got her goods from Getter. And that just was one of the reasons why we got the highest downloads in the last six months, because she posted something about the service with a recipe in it. Customer Convention, I think, is now becoming more of a nuanced thing that you need to do the right things to get yourself in the position that someone else is doing the convincing for you. And I think TikTok is a great platform for it. And I'm going to take the conversation a little bit out of groceries. I think skincare or healthcare is a great example for this, right? You just don't want to believe L'Oreal saying that this is the best mascara. Alex Earl putting it on a TikTok while she's making makeup and saying that this is the best mascara out there does 
wonders for the brand. So that is really hard to unlock. When you're doing services, it's harder to unlock on what I'm doing right now. But I think any sort of a CPG product that is ambient that can be shipped anywhere, I think that is such an amazing conviction platform. So you just need organic content that shouldn't come from you. You should give the right service, give the right product, whatever that is, and instigate the whole situation so it becomes viral and spoken. And that's the only conviction. Anything else, I don't think you can do it. You can have some results, but that's not where the main conviction is there anymore. Yeah. You know, it doesn't move the needle. I think it doesn't unlock too much value for, for the business after some point. And I love this because in the social media episode, I was hosting like a viral TikTok influencer who actually is now building her business because she's got so much traction on TikTok. And she was telling us how authenticity is so important Mm -hmm. because people know if a brand is telling how good their brand is, it's not really authentic. They're biased. It's It's their own thing, right? But if someone unrelated to the brand is really talking about how much value they're seeing, that makes definitely a lot of difference, especially in this day and age of people having so much access to everyone's opinions on brands. All right. So my my second question is a little bit about, you know, navigating through challenges. So we know that Gitsir, as you said, it was highly successful in Turkey and it addressed some of the, the key demand and the pain points in the market and became, yeah. you know, one of the biggest brands, like one of the brands that people really recognize in Turkey. But U.S. is undeniably, as, as we said, it's it's challenging to penetrate. It's it's really hard to survive there. And I'm sure the team at Get Your U.S. experienced many ups and downs uh, throughout this journey. So curious how you, as the leader of a team, keep your team engaged, motivated, and influenced during, during these ch- challenging times that the team has faced yeah and i think it's i think it's like very fair and i would say that not just like get away i think a lot of those big startups um that grew when the economy was different right there was low interest rates which meant there were a lot of capital that was available for a lot of the startups out there that capital has been receding for some time right like there isn't that that much appetite from the investors, not just like it's here in general, like a lot of the VCs, a lot of the PEs, um, they tend to take less risk or tend to take less bigger bets and investments on the businesses. So that did actually reflect into a big sector of people who are working in startups to actually have their lives change, right? They're, when you start the journey, so when I started my journey in 2021, it was a very rosy time in the U.S. economy when it comes to like lower interest rates. People had all these like accumulated capital from COVID and was like looking to invest, right? And that did actually change drastically come 2022, 2023. So it is a portion of like almost the air of the company's spirit is changing. So as the leaders... Of course, there is going to be a very much of a human element to it. So how we motivate our teams and, of course, like motivate ourselves, right? We are all, it's like a human nature of your questioning of, okay, so like this is a changing industry. 
like, what do I have to stay in this industry and like keep learning? And I think it boils down to what you learn out of the experience and having your teams also realize what you learn out of the experience. I would say that I feel very lucky to be working with one of the best, greatest founders that Turkey ever like created. And I would say this in like, Nazem would actually qualify for one of the best founders that we've seen in the recent times, right? Building something from scratch this successful within seven years from a Mm -hmm. Turkey, which is very unstable. The economy is not great. Like you have exchange rate issues. There's a lot of that. So what ends up becoming a point that is very clear, again, very data driven, is that you learn a lot through being in this journey together. And I think having the teams find those for them was the number one thing I did. I do have a bit of a diverse team because when it comes to like buying commercial and marketing, you have different people from different backgrounds. And I know every one of them have a different Mm -hmm. takeaway from this experience. And I think being honest with your teams, being transparent with your teams, understanding what they're willing to take out of their experience and optimizing their journeys and helping them craft their own journeys and understanding where they want to go in life, I think is the main key for retention when the times are tough. But there are only so many things that you can do. I think negotiation is just like one thing. Sometimes life changes. People just want to do another another thing. But I think as long as they're actually looking to stay, I think creating those, what do you want to take out of this for your career? What do you want to learn? And how can I actually make this opportunity for you? is my biggest tactic. And that is what I try to do for my teams all the time. Mm -hmm. I love that. So almost like reframing the experience, right? So let's failure happens. I mean, it's a part of everyone's journey, every company's, every person's journey. But what can we learn out of this? And really aligning people on that mindset, being vulnerable with them as a leader too, because you're a human. I mean, you have your emotions too. You're also might be demotivated sometime, but how can we figure this out together as a team? And how can I help you grow as an individual, as a team member? And as you said, yeah. what will you take out of this experience and how will this add to you as a, as a professional and how can you grow with this? I've learned so much as well because I feel like we we don't talk about these this stuff, right? We don't talk about work in our personal life. So it's been great to talk about all of this. As a closing remark, I want to ask you one final question. So for aspiring or early career marketers or startup founders aiming to propel the growth of their startups, what's one piece of advice you can give them? Yeah, I would say in a controversial way, like don't fall in love with your idea. And I say this because let's say someone is doing a fast cosmetics delivery, right? Like apart from get to your, let's say it's like a different idea. You deliver lipstick in minutes, let's say, and you think that's the best idea in the world, right? You are out of like, let's say face cream or lipstick or whatever that is. And then you're like, oh, everyone should love this. Why wouldn't anyone not use this? And once you go into that world, you, I think, lose a lot of that perspective of what do people really get out of it. So as like a follow-up suggestion, I would say market research and really understanding what people are looking to get out of the experience is a very strong component of the everyday life. I think the day-to-day, people tend to lose that vision. 
I tend to sometimes lose that vision, right? Just going through a day-to-day, what you need to do, like you need to get X, Y, Z done. But I think the bigger picture of what do people see in the service? What do people see in this thing that you're launching? And how do you actually make it in a way that people can see that benefit and understand is very important. And I say don't fall in love with the idea because if, let's say, any point in life you realize that, hey, like I don't have the total addressable market that is interested in this product, I think through research and questioning and seeing the big picture, it would enable you to actually make that call in a timely manner and pivot rather than burning a lot of cash or your time on an idea that might necessarily not resonate. So that would be my one advice. Not falling in love with your idea, but falling in love with the consumer. Yeah. Love that. Well, this was an amazing episode, the startup marketing game. Thank you so, so much for coming on my podcast. I think this was like a little fun episode that we did together. Well, thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Alright, I hope you took as much valuable information as I did and more. My name is Adele and you have listened to an episode from 100 Subgame. You like it here? Go ahead and subscribe to 100 Subgame on your preferred platform. While you're at it, I'd love to hear about what you're thinking of this podcast, any episode requests, or further feedback. It'll help me make this podcast better for you. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll catch you in the next episode. Peace.